You will turn in your Bibles to Book of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. As I listen to Valshara's testimony in those two songs we just sang, trust in the Lord is what gets us through. And the difficult times in life, we have to trust in the Lord. But sometimes the most challenging we have in trusting in the Lord is when things are going well. And we sort of feel like we've got life by the seat of its britches. And at those times, we are tempted just to trust in ourselves. Trusting in the Lord is the hardest thing, perhaps, that we have to do in life. But that's exactly what Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 speak to, a book of wisdom advising us on how to live so that not only do we mess our lives up, but so that we can also live in the fullness of what God has for us. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, and my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Trust is the verb, the command that He begins with. The word there means to go and to hide for refuge in the Lord. It means to be confident in the Lord, and it also means to be bold in the Lord. And the very genius of the Hebrew word that's used there for trust means that when we trust, we have a sense of well-being and security. In other words, as I find my refuge in the Lord, as I have confidence in the Lord, God gives me deep on the inside a sense of well-being and security. Even when I cannot explain and understand that sense of security, even when life on the outside is telling me that I should be insecure and overwhelmed, on the inside I have a deep sense of peace because God is speaking to the soul. He's speaking to the very essence of who we are and saying, I got this. I've got it under control. I am working my will out. I am perfecting what I am doing. It doesn't look like that. It doesn't feel like that. But you know, it never hard does look and feel like it's under control when God is in control. God has this way of doing it. It makes no sense to us. Now, he says, trust who? Trust in the Lord. I want us to look at three ideas there. The name Lord, first of all, from the Old Testament. The name there, of course, is that name we've seen in recent weeks, the name Yahweh. It means that he is our deliverer. It carries idea, first of all, that He is the Creator. Because God is the Creator, I can trust in Him. Because God is Creator, I can be dependent on Him. Because God is my Creator, I cannot understand life apart from Him. Because God is Creator, there is going to be an intelligent design to the journey of our lives. But because God is our Creator, there is always going to be mystery that we don't comprehend and understand. Trust in the Lord, trust in the one who is our creator. Second name idea behind that name is that he is the God of covenant. He has pledged himself to us. He is active among us. He is present, but he's not present in a static sense of the word. He is rather present among us as one who is active and who is doing the work that only he can do. Two Old Testament ideas about who the God is that we trust. He's the God who's our creator. He is the God who has pledged himself to us in covenant. New Testament, he is the God who is our resurrected Lord. Jesus is present in our lives, but he is present. The one we trust is the one who is present among us in resurrection power. It is a royal presence. Jesus' resurrection meant that he rose from the dead and he is victorious over the grave. He is victorious over death. 
He is victorious over our sin. He is victorious over Satan, our shame and our guilt. Everything that Satan could throw at him, everything that we could throw with him. When Jesus walked out of the grave three days later, he wrote, out of that grave victorious over everything and we place our trust in a resurrected Savior who is the King of Kings and who is the Lord of Lords. That is the reason that we trust because He is a resurrected Savior. Now He says trust what? Trust with all your heart. That is the center of who we are. This idea of the heart there is our feelings, our will, our mind. It's what drives us. I take the cravings of my life and I place them on Jesus. I place the deepest desires of my life and I focus them on Jesus. I take who I am and the capacities that God has given me and I focus those on Jesus. That is the idea of trusting Him with all of my heart. And notice the warning in verse 5. He says, Do not lean on your own understanding. You see, whatever we lean on, we pick up the characteristics of what we lean on. Ancient Israel had a bad habit that every time they had opposition come up against them, often instead of leaning on the Lord, they would begin to make a lot of beginnings with countries that were around them, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, etc. And they would begin to make these alliances and they would begin to lean on those alliances and on those other powers. And as they did, they would begin to take on the characteristics of those alliances of those nations and so they fell into idol worship over and over and over again you see whatever we lean on other than the Lord we become like what we are leaning on and we will begin to serve and worship what we're leaning on instead of serving and worshiping the Lord when we lean on our own understanding we have a habit of not reading life correctly have you ever read through something really fast only to discover when you went back and reread it, you read it all wrong the first time? A lot of times we read life really fast and we read it all wrong. Now, I'm a guy, and as a guy, I hate reading directions. I just despise directions. If I, if I get someone's got directions, I'm going to open it up. I'm going to take the directions and lay them aside, and I'm going to begin to try to put it together. And then I begin to lose every, every ounce of spirituality that I've got as it does not fit together the way that I think it should fit together because I think I know more than what the directions know. Any of you wives married to a man like that? You don't have to raise your hand and say amen. But I just despise directions. And when we lean on our own understanding, what we do is we lay aside God's directions for our lives and we just cue into how we think life ought to be put together. And what do we do? We just mess it all up when we do that. Notice verse 5. He says, don't lean on yourself. He says, acknowledge Him and He will direct the ways of your life. Verse 5, acknowledge Him. The word there means to know Him. It speaks of relationship. And what he's saying is this. In every area of your life, know Him. Know His presence. Know His care. Now follow closely what I'm about to say. When you and I know the rules and the rules only, we will end up breaking the rules. When you and I know the relationship with Jesus... We will keep the rules. 
If all I focus on are the rules, then sooner or later the temptation to break the rules is going to overpower me. But if I'm acknowledging Him, if I'm growing in a deep relationship with Jesus, then I'm going to keep the rules, not because I'm scared that I'm going to get punished, not because I'm scared God's going to get all over my case, not because I'm supposed to keep the rules, but because I love Jesus more than I do breaking the rules. And so this idea of acknowledging Him in every path of my life is that in every place in my life, not just when I come to church, but in my finances, in my marriage, in parenting, you name it, I'm saying, Lord, I want to know Your presence there. I want to know Your wisdom there. Jesus, I want to walk hand in hand with You in that place. And so as I'm walking hand in hand with Jesus, that's what transforms me, okay? Let me use the example of marriage. In my marriage, if I'm saying, God, I want to be the husband to my wife that I need to be, not because I'm scared that if I'm not, my wife's going to kill me, or Lord, you're going to nuke me, but rather if I'm the husband I need to be because, Jesus, I love you, and I want to be the man and the husband that I need to be before you, Lord, because I love you, and it's in your power and acknowledging your lordship in this. It's just falling in love with Jesus and walking with him. It's that relationship. Now, notice what he says. He says, acknowledge him in all your ways. Now, follow me on this one. The word ways there in the Hebrew is the idea of stringing a bow. Now, bow season, if I'm correct, just came in. All right? And this is the idea of this word here. It means to string a bow with the idea of aiming that bow, that arrow, in the right direction. You can have the right target and miss it every time if your aim's not right. Say that again. You can have the right target and miss it every time. If your aim's not right. The idea of this word here is that you keep your aim right. You've got the right target. But you make sure that God makes sure that your life is aimed at the target. We don't do a very good job of keeping our aim right. And God says that if you will acknowledge me in every part of your life, I will make sure that the aim of your life is right on target. You and I take care of loving Jesus, and he says, I'll point your life in the right direction, and you will hit the target for me every time. Notice his promise in verse 6. He says, I will direct your way. In other words, I will aim your life right. I will direct the journey of your life. Aim your life right. And he says, I will see to it that your ways, verse 6, are made straight. The word there that's translated, he will make your ways straight, means morally straight. In other words, he's saying, I will bring your life in alignment with the commands and the directions of my word. Let me use an illustration from breakfast. How many of you all like pancakes? I am a pancake fanatic. All right. How many of you like waffles? All right. Waffles have got all those little individual squares. Pancakes are just, you know, out there, just smooth. Now, if you pour syrup on pancakes, it goes all over the pancake. But if you take your time and pour the syrup on the waffle, it'll go in just those little individual squares. And you can have some squares that got syrup, but you may have other squares that don't have syrup. What he's saying here is this. 
Our lives need to be a pancake for the Lord. So that He can pour the Spirit out and it just goes all over our lives. If we're like a waffle, well, church on Sunday morning is filled with the Spirit. But my attitude on Monday at work is not filled with the Spirit. This aspect of my life over here with my finances, I I give the Lord some direction over here, but this way over here where I'm sort of want to go doing my own thing with my finances, that's not going. And so we do this waffle thing with God. And what he's saying here is God can't give us the blessing he wants to give us unless we do the pancake approach. Lord, here's all of my life. Pour out your Holy Spirit on all of my life. Now, the New Testament Christians live this out in a very important way. They trusted in the Lord, and there was an aspect of their trust of God that was extremely ingrained in every part of their trust in the Lord and their looking to the Lord, and it was this. If you read through the epistles of the New Testament, what you will see that comes up fairly regularly, and the Bible ends in the last book with this, is the second coming of Jesus. And this is what the early Christians did. When it said, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not unto your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. They looked at the commands of God, they asked for the filling of the Holy Spirit, but the other component that they, they added to their lives, which is so essential, is that every day they got up and they said, maybe today is the day that Jesus is coming again. We're going to live with an expectation of looking forward to His second coming. And I'm going to live my life in lieu of the fact that Jesus has promised He's coming again. Now that did several things for them that it can do for us. First of all, it gave them hope. Whatever's going on in this life is temporary compared to the eternity of being with Him. The second thing, it says, why should I trust Him? Why should I live for Him? Because He is coming again. And how is He coming again? He's coming as the King of kings, and He's coming as the Lord of lords. So they said, my eyes are not on this world. My eyes are on Jesus. I got one eye on what's going on around me, but I got another eye, the eye of my soul that is looking forward to and living in anticipation that Jesus is going to come again. And folks, as long as the church keeps one eye on the present, but one eye always focused on the second coming, we will live in hope and we will live in victory and we will live in expectation. We will live knowing that whatever we're going through in this life, it is temporary in anticipation of the eternal of being in His presence. They use the illustration in the, in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Revelation, that we as the, the body of Christ are the bride of Christ. And this earthly journey is just getting ready for the eternal journey of being married to Jesus because He's our groom. Now, if a bride is getting ready for her wedding, what does she do? She makes sure that her wedding dress is beautiful and ready to go. She makes sure that all the details for the marriage are worked out. Why? Because she loves her groom and she can't wait for her groom to come. She doesn't, as crazy as this sounds, go around and fool around with another guy because she is anticipating the one that she's married. And she only has eyes for the groom that she's about to marry. But the main thing a bride does is she lives in anticipation of the wedding day. 
She cannot wait. And every day, I remember when we were engaged, every time I talked to my wife, she'd bring the wedding up. She was working on the wedding. She's looking forward to the wedding. She's anticipating and planning the wedding. And folks, as the bride of Christ, living, trusting in Him, we live and we do everything we do. Why? Because the day is coming that He is going to come for His bride. We are living in anticipation of being in His bride and the one that we trust and the one that we are called upon here to trust is the one who is coming for us as our groom. We will be married to Him and we will be with Him forever. That's how we ultimately trust in the Lord. Our coming King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have given us a call, a challenge to trust you. And to look forward, Lord, in our trust. Not just to get through this day and not just to get through this week. But to live, Lord, in anticipation that you are coming again. That you are going to claim us for your own. That we as your bride are going to be married to you. And so, Lord, we say as a prayer of trust what Revelation chapter 20 and verse 21 says. Even so... Come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ, in just a moment as we sing, I want to invite you to walk the aisle of this church, and I'd love to take your hand and pray with you to make the most important decision that you'll ever make in life, and that is to say yes to Jesus. Jesus, I, I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to belong to you. I want to walk with you. If you're here and you sense that God has been speaking to you and saying, I want you to become part of the church family here and, and join here at this congregation at Rocky Mount and, and serve the Lord with us, we invite you to come as we sing. If there's any other public decision you need to make to follow the Lord, we encourage you to come. If you want to just kneel and pray, feel free. Lord, bless this time as we respond to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, sing, come if you will.